0: And leading. that's what we do. Impacting communities. the world You're a
1: girl. We're women. Who launch and lead.
2: You are listening to women who launch and lead the podcast for women ready to change the world by women who are changing the world. Listen in each week on iTunes, Google, Spotify, Breaker, or Stitcher as we connect with women making it happen in life, business, and career. Relate to their struggles, learn their strategies, and celebrate their successes. Then show your love by subscribing and leaving a review. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharita Weatherspoon.
0: Hello, ladies. This is Dr. Sharita Weatherspoon, and we're here for another episode of Women Who Launch and Lead, and today we have with us... Kwanesha Green who is the founder and CEO
1: of Black Woman CEO. We're so excited to have you with us today Kwanesha. Hey there Dr. Sharita. Thank you for having me on. I'm so excited to talk to your community.
0: Yes I'm excited to have you share from your experience with them as well because I know there are going to be a lot of great lessons that we can pull from your experience and your journey. So I like to always start off by getting to the core of, you know, who you are and what you do and how you're impacting the world. So if you can share that with
1: us. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Um, As you said, I'm the founder and CEO, Black Women CEO, and I like to call myself the confidence strategist for Black Women Entrepreneurs, truly helping service-based entrepreneurs and experienced experts to elevate their confidence and emancipate their earning power. Um, You may be familiar because you've heard me say this a lot about the statistics around black women entrepreneurs, where on average, we're generating $24,000 a year. Now, to put that in perspective, that's by both race and gender, we're in the lowest tier when it comes to those average gross revenues. So I really see um, our movement and black women CEO to empower black women, which will ultimately change our lives, change our communities, right, change our world and in our families. And so many women have, excuse me, a calling on their life so you know what does it take to help them get there so that's my passion i'm all about the love of black women uh, my background is in social work and social justice and and community organizing so you can see kind of how all those things come together and i've spent hundreds of hours and now with black women ceo thousands of hours of antidotal, right, informal research to really see what do we need as Black women? How do we develop our identities? And particularly with my master's thesis, studying the challenges as well as the strengths of Black women when it comes to leadership. So Black Women CEO, we're really one of the only organizations that combines research to inform our work around Black women and Black women entrepreneurs and helping them to grow in their leadership and really help them to drive their vision.
0: Mm, that's really powerful. And I love the fact that the work you do um, has its basis in research, you know, because a lot of what coaches do <laughs> out in the marketplace is not data driven, is not research based or backed or tested in, in many ways. So it's really great that you're able to you know, utilize skills that you learn through your education and combine those with your business knowledge to to put together um, services that can help women and black Black women in particular to advance as CEOs in their businesses um, in a way that is cult- culturally aware and sensitive and relevant to them. So that that's really awesome work that you're doing in the world.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: So how did you get started on this path? Because I know, you know, as a child, as a teenager, you didn't grow up saying, I want to be a confidence coach for women entrepreneurs. <laughs> so how'd you get
1: started? Right. I, I don't know if I had that vision, but I did have a big vision for my life. You know, I actually grew up poor um, in the projects. My mother was, um, she was addicted to drugs, um, and when i was eight years old i actually uh sat in my room because i wrote in my second grade journal that i wanted to jump out the window and take the dog with me so trigger alert for those who may be listening suicide and um my brother went to school i don't remember the exact conversation that he had with my teacher but i remember coming home and he said quenny shall be very sad if you you know harmed yourself in that way and so to this day i don't know this voice came and said go to harvard and become a doctor <laughs> And I attribute that to God, because here I was, an eight-year-old Black girl, right, in the projects, how I know how to do that. And so that drove my journey, my academic journey. Ultimately, I I did go on to go to an Ivy League. I went to Penn instead of Harvard. And then I took my first sociology class, and I fell in love, right, more than I did with the sciences, which is a different type of science, right? Mm -hmm. And I finally had information that helped me to understand my life, right? Um, And it's interesting that I had that experience at eight, because mental health, um, became such a pivotal, um, influence in my life. Like I have bipolar disorder. I was eventually diagnosed with that and had been in the hospital by the time I was 28, about three times right for having these deep depressive episodes considering um, harming myself right when I because it was just too much I remember I was 28 I was sitting on the floor of my studio apartment and I was like this is it I'm done like I'm just tired I don't know if you ever had this deep fatigue to your bones some of the listeners may be able to resonate with that and so I was hospitalized And so I sat there, I'm in this lock psych ward, and I asked for what I call my tools, (laughs) which was pen and paper, because I was like, how the hell did I get here again? Like, how am I here? And at the end of that writing, just kind of like letting everything out, everything that I went through, I put, uh, Dr. Shreda, I'm stronger than this. Mm -hmm. And that's when I made a decision that I was going to do everything I can to save my life and take charge of my life. And within two weeks, I had a position created for me at a statewide um, social justice organization. About 18 months after that, I was promoted to co-executive director. But here's the thing that was happening at that time. I had a number of Black women who were around my age, a little younger, who were saying, how did you get promoted this fast, (laughs) right? As at this time, I was like around 29, right, 30. And then I had older Black women telling me to own my own stuff, right, to own it because they had... Um, like high blood pressure, cancer, all these things of really dedicating and over-serving and not just in the nonprofit field, right, but just their lives to organizations. Some of them being ousted because someone, you know, didn't like them anymore or the community and then they lost, right? All this, you know, career um, gravitas, all these things that they um, worked for. Mm -hmm. And so at the time I started to think, what if I did this on my own? What if I did this on my own? And that's when I really got the entrepreneurial bug. Like, I've always been entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial because I was mm-hmm. always kind of like thrown into, hey, Queen, you should go figure this out. And it's like, all right, I got a runner for Koja campaign for Florida. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let me figure this out. And so it was really that path of thinking, how can I do this on my own that I started to invest in um, entrepreneurship, but still this question around like leadership and Black women why were we being overlooked? And so it kind of came together, like I said, in my master's thesis is really um interesting combination and then as i started to do this work within communities i was exposed to more black women entrepreneur as i moved up and investing in myself this time those high-level masterminds that were like four figures And then I had women coming to me to say, because I was moving kind of fast when I launched my business. I had a 1,000 women join what was in the Black Women Rise movement. I had my first high-level client, right, within two weeks, who paid me, like, over almost $2,000 for, like, six sessions. And my mastermind sisters were like, wait a minute, how are you moving fast? And it wasn't a dig, right? It wasn't like, what are you doing? (laughs) that you can get ahead. But I started to see that the same work I wanted to do in Black Women Rise, which was to help women rise, like, you know, in their leadership or promotion, that these Black women entrepreneurs had the same thing, that this confidence that they got in school, um, and sometimes in their career was not translating over to entrepreneurship. And when we dig deeper, it was things around their sense of self, Mm -hmm. right? It was memories that were coming up, Um, because entrepreneurship is like one of the greatest personal development tools, as you know. Mm -hmm. And so something that, you know, the professor said when they were in college that they couldn't write, but now they have a PhD and written four books. But that one thing that that professor said kept coming up and they couldn't write a 500 word piece to put on LinkedIn. Right. Mm -hmm. So really starting to see um, how people needed, or particularly black women needed that healing and it needed to be culturally relevant. Right. Because some of the things that were coming up for them were particular to our walk as Black women, right? Some of them didn't want to be seen as bougie or better than other people because they were making money. Because, you know, our families can be a mix of (laughs) different classes and income levels. So it's been a really interesting journey um, seeing how I could, you know, transition my work and then really meeting the needs of Black women, but then also helping them with the skills and knowledge that they need. So I like to say we help them do the inner work, to then do the outer work that they need in business i know that's long but it's like once again my journey is like all these things like you know it's almost like those forks in the roads it's just like you get to some place you're like wait okay what's happening here and ultimately my purpose i always say is to help people to really fulfill their calling to reach their highest purpose and i've been that way since I was a young child, like I used to go back when I was in sixth grade and talk to the kids and say, you know, our circumstances don't have to determine who we are, right? Now I'm going to a private school in in Manhattan, right, down on, you know, where there's all these rich people and these high risers, right? So I always, I think, was trying to be an example. And I didn't see myself as different um, or special. I just saw myself as someone who was taking advantage of other opportunities and that advocated for herself. And I wanted more people to do that. And as I grew to do more work in the community I think it naturally just lended to seeing us as the underdog often in society right even though I know we're extremely strong and we've had so many advances as black women but it's like no like I want to help more of us <laughs> right mm-hmm. to get ahead and get where we want to go as a group so I always say black women are not a monolith right and we have women in all different levels but as a group the research shows you know we're kind of in the lowest tiers when it comes to positions and work and leadership and we know that's due to bias but then we also have our own internal biases as we internalize some of the things that we heard in society or our own lived experiences so you know once again having that that journey a personal journey where I dealt with that seeing what the research said about that and then actually starting to pilot and do this work in the real world and see i wasn't the only one and we i worked with women around the globe so this is not just an american black woman experience it's you know like the whole like so many women from around the world uk different countries in africa are also experiencing a lot of what i just talked about
0: Mm. i've really knowing where you are now in your business um and hearing your story just, it's really an inspiring story. Um, and I think that, you know, if nothing else, our listeners can pull from it, that you can overcome circumstances. You can overcome challenges that seemingly prevent you from moving forward and doing the things that you really desire to do and have the success that you want to have in your life. Um, and we can see that on multiple levels within your story, um, which is real, which is really awesome. Because I know that we get um, sometimes distracted by our circumstances, mm-hmm. and you know, kind of the the baggage that we're bringing into different situations. And oftentimes let that be the determining factor about how far we go or when we go or if we go forward. Um, But I I love the fact that with everything that you've been through, um, here you are today. (laughs) Experiencing (laughs) the success that you're experiencing um, and empowering other women to do the same and that's not to say that you know all of your challenges have been resolved, you know in any right. way that you don't still go through things at times, um, which leads me to my next question um which you know relates to how transparent you've been which which I do appreciate
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: how How do you manage um or what challenges? come up for you as you try to manage this growing business with the mental health challenges that you have and kind of maintaining balance and equilibrium um, so that you're able to serve others while still serving yourself
1: great question um... I like to say that my greatest obstacle, I think, that has been in my business is energy management. You know, one thing about having bipolar disorder for me, is not even um, depression in the sense of like, oh, I'm sad, my mind, something happened. I experienced it as my body being tired, right? Not being able to get out of bed and fatigue. And as you know, we kind of have to work our business every day, Um One, it's hard for me to work 40 hours. So that was also why I wanted the freedom to work from home. So I would say first is acknowledging that I do have limitations due to my mental health disorder. Like I technically have a disability, right, on record. And it took a while to really accept that and not only see it as it wasn't like a limiting belief. It was just like, okay, I'm going to radically accept this is my reality. But then also know that there's things that I can do, right, to make sure that I'm well, and all of this, and as you know, I didn't always do everything perfectly, right? So I've had my ups and downs. And so the other part, so one radically, radically accepting that, because I feel once you name it and claim it, then you can actually start to heal it, right? Mm-hmm. Start to heal it. Um, so the other part of that is support. I go to therapy every single week, <laughs> cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, to really help me to mostly examine my thoughts. Um, I become really good at what I call the process of catching our thoughts because mm-hmm. our thoughts create our reality. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's actually science, everybody. That's not just uh, the woo-woo stuff that you hear out there. And so cognitive behavioral therapy that's been well researched for almost 100 years shows that our thoughts impact our feelings and our emotions, our feelings and our emotions impact our behavior and our behaviors actually impact the outcomes that we see the results in our life which makes up our life so for me to be well I have to constantly think about my thoughts because as you know we can have blinders on and we may not see right what's holding us back so that's why you know therapy leaning on um, friends and family Um, but I'm really sure that I kind of tap into my therapist (laughs) and not be a burden to them but sometimes even talking to someone right reaching out if I'm having a hard time or I feel like I'm stuck or struggle and I have business besties too, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of helped me when I feel like, oh, no one's going to buy from me. They're like, girl, get it together, right? <laughs> so having a, a support system. And then I'm really committed to this idea. And I said it before, taking 100% responsibility for my life. I like to say a book that saved my life was a Success Principles by Jack Canfield. And those first five principles, literally when I got out of the hospital, like I tell you, when I was 28 is what I did And one of the things is actually one of his steps is to take 100% responsibility. That was the first time I heard that. And he gives you this formula that there are going to be events, right, and circumstances that we have no control over, right? Like I couldn't control who my mother was, plus our reactions, so E plus R, right, our reactions is how we choose to respond, is going to equal the outcomes. So as you can see, the one variable that we really have control over that can influence the outcomes is how we react to things. So I'm constantly thinking about what actions can I take? And so the reason why I said that energy management is because, you know, with the mood disorder, if I'm not practicing a lot of self-care, which can get kind of um, wonky when I'm like in this work mode. (laughs) And some of that is what you call hypomania, a bipolar disorder where I can get so focused. Like there's been times I stayed up for like 24 to 36 hours. And I'll have a whole campaign done, all the emails for the long- launch. I have all the social media stuff done. And people are looking at it like, wow, why did you just put out all this content? But it was actually a detriment to my health. So, from, And I think self-care is so important for everyone. But for me, it's even more so. So those are some of the challenges. It's really been continuously tending to my health, but more importantly, getting support and then also doing my own self-coaching, right? So in between therapy, using the skills and the things that are in my toolbox to help me to be well. And then when I'm not well, actually acknowledging that I'm not okay, mm-hmm. right? And being able to communicate that to my clients, to communicate that to my community that, hey, I need two weeks. I mean, I one time I took up to like two months off, <laughs> right? Because I, I realized I was in a low. So I'm able to now more efficiently catch those things. Um, and now I feel... Um, this year, I've been heavily tending to my self-care because if I'm not doing it systematically, then I'm going to see those dips. And I don't feel like my business deserves that. I like I see my business outside of me. <laughs> I'm not my business. It's its own entity. So, But in that relationship, it's like, how am I coming to the relationship with my business? I hope that answers your question. Um, I think we all need to tend to our mental health. Um, But for some of us who may have a chronic condition, even if it's a a physical condition, um, I think we have to think more strategically so that we can fully show up. Because I don't see my business, um, although my business is a vehicle to the life that I desire, I see it as a commitment to helping other people. So in order for me to honor them, I need to do what I need to do so I can show up 100% to serve them right? And so although I've had experiences where, like I said, I've had the downs, I I don't want that to continue to be people's experiences of me um, as they work with me. So it's been a challenge. I always acknowledge that it takes trial and error, (laughs) right? (laughs) And then once again, I still have to acknowledge and be mindful of, now I would say the yellow flags, right, before I get to the red flags, Mm -hmm. so I can, you know, tend to some things. And once again, that weekly therapy helps me to also catch those things faster because my therapist may see something. So that's something I realized as a safety net, I have to have. There's no going back to monthly or (laughs) biweekly. I need to have that checkpoint um, for myself in order to function well and then to show up as a powerful CEO. Yeah.
0: So that, that response was full of a lot of, a lot of gems. So, you know, it's about, Know knowing who you are and being able mm-hmm. to recognize things within yourself that you need to address and attend to, the importance of getting therapy and doing the work that you need to do to stay mentally and emotionally well. Right. And the the whole support system thing. I mean, that could be a separate.
1: <laughs> She's like, you're gonna come <laughs> back and talk about
0: it right? <laughs> <laughs> by itself. Um, but i I love how you're putting you know the the focus on really through your through your experience there's been this growth process and this acknowledgement of you know I need to make this a consistent thing this self care thing it needs to be consistent. Right. I can't wait until I'm not feeling whole and well to then try to refill myself. I need to stay filled up, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a daily basis and we putting business aside you know women black women especially yeah
1: we serve yeah we black women <laughs> yeah
0: absolutely absolutely so yes very very enlightening um response and just i'm just hoping our listeners just pull from that
1: and if you need to rewind
0: <laughs> listen to it again to get everything please do
1: that Yeah, I just want to highlight, because I call it (laughs) the strong Black woman disorder that we can have. And, of course, it was a survival mechanism, right? The whole idea that we have to do things ourselves, we have to serve, we have to protect our community, right? Because the one consistent was those moms, right? When people were torn from their families and men used as breeding, right? Horses. And you may have heard the term. I know you have, and our listeners probably have, that Black woman were the muse of society, right? So we had to hold up so much, and we still do, right? We still, the statistics still show that you know black women the majority of the households are led by black women so but one thing i had to do for myself was redefine what it meant to be strong cuz actually when i tried to completely let it go there was um a uh, i want to say in probably like around 2010 2011 there was all these articles of like getting rid of the strong black woman and so when i tried to get that paradigm completely out of myself because it was how I identified. I got really lost, and it made me actually more depressed. Like I felt more victim um, instead of in charge. And so I was like, okay, how can I hold on to this par- paradigm and redefine it? Redefine it. So I actually created this piece, like um, seven ways to be stronger. But one of them was being vulnerable. Right. Mm-hmm. Another thing of strength was asking for help right? Another um, set of strength was having courage. (laughs) So I, instead of seeing it as this whole thing of like having to take on the world, and you may have had, my grandma used to always say this, if I want it done right, I have to do it myself. And seeing how um, Cherie Parker in this book called Fierce um, Angels, she said that the strong Black woman is both fierce and nurturing, and what would it mean for us to turn that back to ourselves, right? Instead of giving it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started to think about how can I be fierce and nurturing for myself, right? And so a lot of it was just redefining strengths. So I could hold on to that paradigm, right? Mm-hmm. And that was the paradigm of our foremothers, right? That helped us to kind of trailblaze and go through, but see it from, you can say, a holistic stance. I, I want to say healthier, but it's kind of like the other side of what we were aiming to do, right? So how can we do that? In a more holistic and healthier way, and so that's why I had to really change this whole strong black woman (laughs) syndrome Mm -hmm. and this order. And I make so many others aware of it, Right. right? Like how we can sometimes house these stereotypes and there's other stereotypes you probably know of black women, like the Jezebel and all these other things. But see it as an archetype that also has a positive aspect to that. You know, if you are, you know, someone who may be seen as over sexualized, and we know that's a heavy stereotype, maybe she's just tapping into her feminine power, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So really helping women to also redefine whatever paradigm around black women that they are holding on to, helping them to see how it can be a detriment, but then also helping them to see the positive. So once again, that goes to that sense of self that I talked about. And it helps so many of my clients to tap into another aspect of themselves and turn once again, that back on them, right. So that they can also start to really serve themselves first before they start serving everyone else and not have that be something that's a detriment to them because they're giving so much to everybody. As you know, we serve our communities and our religious <laughs> organizations and it's <they're laughs> like, okay, but then you tired and you can't get out of bed, right. right. Or you are overeating, right. There's so much research that um, one book called shifting really talked about how depression shows up. Um, in so many different ways for black women. And she talked about overeating, overworking, and over serving, or we call it the blues, right? Cause when someone can't get out of bed for three days, <laughs> right? So we see the effects um, in our lives. So we're not immune to this, but we have to bring it to our awareness and then choose to make some, some different choices about it. So the research around a lot of this also really helped me to start um, really understanding culturally, right? How this shows up again making different choices so I can still hold on to those cultural values and principles right that kind of bring us together as a community that allows us to have some common experience in our history but really start to examine it from the place of like how can we make this a little healthier <laughs> <laughs> for us in that way so I hope that helps folks to just be more aware of thinking like okay how do I maybe take or be, how do I take on these things or how have I been operating in this and a lot of times this unconsciously right because it's how we were um socialized right um and so or raised right so Mm -hmm. we have to um really take some time for that self-exploratory work which also research shows sometimes we don't have the space to do as -hmm. black women but actually a lot of us do we do have certain privileges right sometimes education or economics so it's like also how are you taking that time to actually do that self um exploratory work and examination so you can see what's really going on right with you. Are you happy with the way your life is going and the quality of life that you're living? Mm,
0: Yes, yes, yes. So where you are in your, your business right now, um, and given the, the journey that you've been on, if, I guess if, if you would say your vision, the ultimate vision that you have for your business is at level 10, um, where do you think you are now in relation to what you see for your business?
1: Not such a good question. I think I'm at level six. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, as of this recording, we're going into our fifth year um, of Black Women CEO. And I realized that so much of my business has been almost like a surprise Mm -hmm. of like oh let's see what can happen (laughs) (laughs) when we do this and it's like oh okay that works right and of course i've invested in coaches and consultants and support um last year was a heavy scaling year and investing in um guidance and operations and infrastructure to do that and then uh i want to say in the last few months i was like what would it look like for black woman ceo to be 10 years old Mm -hmm. right and or 20 years old or to be 40 and i've been thinking now about Okay, what do I have to do to actualize that? Um, Another thing has come up, uh, one of my mentors, she was, she called herself the black woman millionaire, and she was helping black women to get to millionaire status. And that just seemed so foreign to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it wasn't that I, I don't know, it's like, I wasn't resisting it. It was just like, no. And and I I don't think I was even saying it wasn't for me. I don't know. I just thought like, okay, there's people who do that. <laughs> and so I'm thinking like, okay, what would it mean to build an organization that's a million dollars, right? What would it be to have this organization have um, longevity and relevance for years to come? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I said I'm a six because I think 10 would be reaching some of those goals, yes. right? Black women's CEO turning a hundred years old or having <laughs> this jubilee or something, and so I think now I'm, I, I've always had a clear vision that I wanted to help Black women thrive, Black women entrepreneurs thrive. Mm-hmm. But now I'm thinking more about legacy. Now I'm thinking more about in, being intentional in our work versus, I don't feel like I was throwing spaghetti at the wall, but it, it was almost, once again, like a surprise of like, wow, I worked with a celebrity this year. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> versus being like, I'm going to work with more celebrities this right. year. Wow. So I think that's what the difference is. Um, when you think about someone who's at a 10 and where I might be at a six is like really being more intentional about your goals. Um, and for me, not just many goals, like, Hey, I want to get three clients. this right, right. <laughs> But those long-term goals and, and working um, for them. And then also thinking about what does scaling look like, right? What would it mean to play with the, the big boys and girls <laughs> in the business, right? Like not seeing it as a small business, but it's like, how am I building an empire? So that's kind of, where a lot of my thinking and setting some intentions around it and then seeing also what comes up for me, once again, that inner stuff of like, okay, what fears come up, (laughs) what -hmm. thoughts come up and then working towards those or even getting support from mentors who are there to help me work through some of those things.
0: Yes. Yes. So you've mentioned several resources that you've used in helping to grow your business. What, what would you say is your favorite resource that helps you in business
1: my favorite resource is coaching like getting private coaching <laughs> <laughs> um books are great courses are great right i've, I've done all of that and spent probably way too much money on some of that some of it was investing out of insecurity right but i find that i can move really fast when i'm in those things um and also i like private coaching because it will tend to where i am at that moment. So actually investing in private coaching and then even private consulting for my business, I think it's the greatest resource and tool because it's someone who's been where you are, right? And so that's why I say actually invest in someone who <laughs> is where you want to go, right. right? But they understand where you are and they can really give you a customized roadmap to get to where you want to go and helping you to avoid, you know, as much as possible making mistakes or, you know, the, the mistakes they made on their path. So, Uh, I think that's been really the greatest, the greatest resource for me. I'm an avid reader, so I do read a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. One of my favorite books, like I said, is the Success Principle. Um, I love a lot of Valerie Burton books, so if you are looking for books, because she she teaches self coaching. Um, in a lot of her work. So be like, I can't do private coaching yet. <laughs> I definitely encourage you all to um, start with books and even start with some courses. Of course, you can always come to Black Women CEO, right? <laughs> to really tend to the mindset work and then learn what you don't know, right? You don't know what you don't know. So, you know, business books can help in that um since so the success principles a lot of Valerie Burton books I love her work um and then when you are able to save up your coins and (laughs) invest in some private support so that you can move faster right you can move faster than you want
0: to go Mm -hmm. yes so what is one thing that you wish someone would have told you at the start of your entrepreneurial journey that if you had known it then five years ago um maybe you would be where you are now at year three versus at year five.
1: Um this is actually so- what someone said to me probably in my second year this so I wish I got this in <laughs> the first year mm-hmm. was um focus. So it was like follow one course until successful. Because when I started my business, I was like, oh, I'm going to be an author and I'm going to be a speaker and I'm going to do coaching. So it was like all these things I wanted to do. And then I was over investing to learn all these different things. And then one day my mentor said, Quintia, focus on one thing and only one thing until you get results. And so eventually I kind of when as I kind of put my own word around it, it was like follow one course until successful focus. So. I think if I was told that earlier on, Mm -hmm. it would have saved me money, first of all, (laughs) investing and stuff, because that one course was my coaching, right? And also revenue generating activities. Um, And then I think part two of that is really, I think in that second year of kind of investing in myself, I also um, found out what it really meant to be a CEO. And those two primary roles is to drive the vision and drive revenue. So I think early on, if I really understood what were those key revenue generating activities, once again, I wouldn't kind of been like a squirrel saying like, shiny object, shiny object, or like running around like a chicken with her head cut off. (laughs) Once again, over investing, I say, is one of my early mistakes. So follow one course and still successful, (laughs) right? And really, um, you know, tend to that and learn what revenue generating activities are.
0: That both of those are really good. I especially <laughs> like the focus, uh, because highly educated, highly skilled, in-demand women, mm-hmm. um, we have big visions. <laughs> there's a lot that we want to accomplish, and there's multiple, you know, components to it, and we often feel like we have to be doing everything at the same time versus just taking the first piece of that and bringing that to life and make sure, you know, it is fully grown and developed and can really operate on its own for the most part. Mm -hmm. And then let's now birth the second baby (laughs) and raise (laughs) that one up. And while I I think people think that they are more likely to be successful or generate more income if they have these multiple things going at one time Uh, but the reality is that none of them are going to be all that they could be if you are splitting your focus between multiple things at the same time especially in the early stages of your business (laughs)
1: because how do you know it works right and so why split your attention when you can give all your attention to it? And for many of us, you know, we're building bi- businesses in parallel to our um, nine to five. Like I'm fully in business. So for me, it's business or bus, right? I don't have a job <laughs> to go to, but many times, um, you know, when I know people are starting, they're doing it in tandem. I call it a parallelpreneur when you're building out your business while you're still working full time. And so if you're trying to do five different things, right? That little 10 to 20 hours you may have is now getting split. But what if you spent that 20 hours right on your main thing? And like you said, built it out, build the resources out, get it to profit, right? Get it to the point where it's generating money. And so while I do agree that people should have, um, multiple streams of income but actually my thought is to diversify your revenue but here's the thing it doesn't still have to be on different things like we have a diverse streams of revenue within black women ceo around the primary (laughs) objective and topic and so once again this is where i believe coaching and consulting comes in because you don't know what you don't know but once again that focus build it out until it's profitable and then because you know you never know that money could help you then go do real estate (laughs) Right. (laughs) right and you know pay someone to write your book for you right -hmm. so also you can start leveraging differently when you actually have your business generating consistent revenue and being profitable
0: yes 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 so let's switch over to our wordplay segment (laughs) and i'm going to share two words with you that i'd like you to just share your thoughts on what those words mean to you and the first is ceo Although it's
1: not I okay, although you're gonna say both, yeah, <laughs> so I'm a little no because, like, okay, not a CEO. word
0: per se, but CEO because <laughs> a lot of people call themselves CEO,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but not yeah. everybody calls themselves a CEO is a CEO.
1: Yeah. So my first thought is Chief Excellence Officer as opposed to Chief Everything. Officer, right? So I think when people think CEO, especially when we're kind of solopreneurs, like, oh, we got to do everything. Whereas it's like, how can you operate in excellence and understanding that there's a couple of roles of the CEO is to drive that vision, right? That that mission and vision that you have drive revenue, how are you bringing in money? Because, you know, money is the lifeblood of your business. And if you aren't generating revenue, what you really have is an expensive hobby. Right. And then the other um, I would say the third is to duplicate yourself. Right. Um, so it's like drive your leadership, <laughs> build a team, you know, and trust can be a really big factor um, that gets in the way for black women bottlenecking where it's like, can we trust the one to deliver on in an excellent way that we do? But it's like also are you training them? <laughs> right. So it's right. actually getting those skills to be a leader in your organization and, and actually starting to build out a team right? To help you do some of these pieces. And that can be, you know, first independent contractors, it does not even have to be, you know, that commitment of hiring an employee and all the things that go in that. So those were the, the things that came to mind. So chief excellence officer, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of chief everything officer.
0: Mm, that's really good. Now, the second word or phrase is revenue generation,
1: Uh, Revenue generation. I think about our profit roadmap (laughs) here at Black Women CEO, which is really five steps that we actually help women uh, um, with to build a revenue generating business. So to give some context around that, what I really think about is how are you showing up and getting known, right? So the marketing part. Um, how are you actually engaging people to explore working with you, right? And then knowing how to close the deal, which is the sales part, and then delivering and delighting people, right? Because if you are not actually um, facilitating the transformation and the results that you tell people that you get, one, then your business shuts down because nobody trusts you (laughs) in that way. But then by having those results and testimonial, your business continues to grow through word of mouth and referrals, right? So I'm always thinking about you know, how does this activity lead to a client, right? How does this activity lead to me making money? And so I always ask my clients, like, okay, how is that going to make you money? (laughs) (laughs) Playing on the internet, being on social media, um, sometimes, you know, getting cute business cards, those are not revenue generating (laughs) activities. So once again, and I, in the profit roadmap, I have alignment. So once again, we talked about that self-exploratory work, your mindset, knowing your values, that's really important. But then, the marketing, cultivating customers, right? And then eventually making the offer by <laughs> right? mm-hmm. inviting people to explore with you and then delivering and delighting. So that's what I see. I think of our profit roadmap. And to me, that's what a business is, right? To get to that point. That's your goal is to generate revenue.
0: Yes, yes. Even when your business is purpose or passion aligned, mm-hmm. business indicates yes. that you are or should be making money.
1: Yeah, you're selling a solution. <laughs> <You> need <laughs> yeah. to <buy> it. <laughs> yeah. And it's
0: okay to profit from your purpose. <laughs>
1: yeah. you know, I did it all the time. Profit. Yeah. It's okay to profit. Yes, absolutely, absolutely.
0: So I know that you have a gift for our listeners. Tell us what that is and how they can find it.
1: It's actually the Profit Roadmap. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> we talk about. So um, the Profit Roadmap Guide is teaching you those five core steps you can take to building a revenue generating business, so you get that and these are actually steps I created from uh, working with millionaire black women right and I started to see this common <laughs> these com like the um you can say the coding. <laughs> but I was like, wait a minute, y'all all are teaching me the same thing, right? And so I kind of drilled it down to the profit roadmap. So it's not just proven um, for me; it's generated over multiple six figures, uh, you know, in total revenue for my business. But I also learned this from women who have also excelled in doing it. So it's covering that those five steps, and then it also goes into a deep dive of what are some roadblocks that you need to avoid. So you also get those mindset pieces um, in that guide. So, you can go to blackwomenceo.com, mm-hmm. backslash get known. That's the main URL for that. And you can go ahead and get that profit roadmap guide.
0: Awesome. Now, how can our listeners connect with you online?
1: Yeah, blackwomenceo.com would be the best place to start and joining the community. So once again, even if you get the profit roadmap, you'll be in our community. But if you type in blackwomenceo in all social media, <laughs> even <laughs> our podcast, iTunes, all those different things, we will pop up. So you can just type in blackwomenceo, we're the only one, but definitely just go ahead to the main website, blackwomenceo.com.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So it has been an extreme pleasure having you with us today. Very powerful conversation. And again, to our listeners, if you didn't catch all of the gems that were dropped, (laughs) you want to go back (laughs) and listen again and pick them up and put them. In your treasure chest. Yes. All right.
1: <laughs> that replay button. Let this be the highest <laughs> download and listens on the podcast. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. just always setting goals, right? So, <laughs> go to Sister Roz, go share the episode. Leave a comment about Quanisha. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, really. But thank you, Dr. Sharita, for, for having me on. You're a powerhouse. Um, I've enjoyed the relationship, the professional and personal relationship that we have. And I'm so excited um, about this new medium that you've created to really support um, women in general and also women entrepreneurs.
0: Yes. Thank you, Kwanisha. I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate the relationship as well. And it just reminds me of how well I am surrounded by powerhouse women, um, I, most of the guests this season have been people that I know, women that I know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you don't, you don't necessarily think about who's in your circle. You know, you just, you have your relationships and, right. you know, they're mutually beneficial and, you know, you like people, you love people, but this really gave me a chance to, to see who's in my circle and whew, it's powerful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> who fills up for you and then interviews are so great because we don't really have these conversations like <laughs> but when we're doing interviews you're like oh I didn't know that about your story <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you know all those different things I, I love interviews um as you can you know on our Black and the CEO podcast yes <laughs> too but yeah um it's a great way to see one who shows up for you and even learn more about more deeply around the woman and what women, whoever, right, who's in your circle. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Great, yeah, great. I'm glad that this one has been a great experience for you too.
0: <laughs> yes. All right. So, ladies, thank you for tuning in and join us for the
2: next episode of Women Who Launch and Lead. Thank you for joining us for Women Who Launch and Lead with Dr. Sharita Weatherspoon. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode and leave your positive review so we can continue to bring you impactful and powerful content. Don't forget to connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Coach Sharita. Learn more about how you can work with Dr. Sharita at sharitawetherspoon.com. As always, learn, launch, lead.